All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I got to sit down and chat with Joellen Gill. And Joe is an avid outdoors woman. She also trains and runs tracking dogs. And so she's got hounds, she's had German shepherds, all sorts of different dogs that she uses for tracking. And it was just really cool to get some of her insight, perspective on what happens, what you should do, what you shouldn't do after you shoot a deer, if you don't think you made a great shot, or if it's marginal to any degree, how to go about that. And so this is a very, very informative um, podcast for anybody interested in the process, the steps to take after shooting a deer. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. It was awesome to chat with her. I'm super pumped to actually watch a dog work a blood trail at some point. And it really makes me want to, I know I've said this a lot in recent podcasts about wanting to get a dog um, whether it's for waterfowl, pheasant, shed hunting, blood tracking. I just want a dog that can do it all. I think that would be amazing. And uh, I know they're out there. I just, I'm not going to lie. I don't have the time, energy, or patience to train a dog. And so it would probably have to be professionally trained. But who knows? Hopefully in the future, hopefully I can make that happen soon. Um, but we're going to dive right into this podcast. Actually, you know what? Before I get into it, I got to tell you, I am so pumped right now. I'm recording this, getting it set to go out tomorrow, but I've got a hunting van showing up here today. It's a sprinter van converted specifically for hunting, loaded with a bunch of like manly tools, hunting tools, survival stuff. Um, I don't know what's all involved in it yet, but I can't wait till it shows up. And once it gets here, I'm going to load all my gear up in it. We've got to hook a trailer with the side-by-side up, and then tomorrow, first thing in the morning, we head to Colorado for our combination elk and mule deer hunt. Um, We're also, we just talked about it today, going to try to figure out if we can grouse hunt while we're out there, because I know typically when I go out on the West Slopes, we see a ton of grouse, and I think it would just be cool to carry around like a 410 or a 22 or a 12-gauge, I guess I would have to see what the regs are on it and what's legal, but it would be a lot of fun to do a couple days of grouse hunting before we actually get into the big game stuff. So yeah, I'm pumped. If it sounds like I'm going a thousand miles an hour right now, I am. My adrenaline's up. I've got so much going on and I just cannot wait to be on the road heading out to Colorado. So I'll keep you updated on that. But for now, let's hop on the call with Joe. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dane had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Joellen Gill. And uh, she reached out to me on social media And her answers to the questionnaire that I sent back were pretty awesome. I mean, just hearing about uh, being in the outdoors basically her whole life and then also getting into blood tracking with canines. I was like, man, I have got to have her on to chat about all of that. So, uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here talking about it and kind of... I don't think most people understand what actually entails with deer tracking and dogs. And so I'm excited to get to explain it a little bit. So people get a better idea. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I'm going to have a ton of questions about it and just about the process, how it works, the training, all of it. But uh, before we dive into all that, would you mind sharing with the listeners maybe a little bit about your hunting history, how you got involved in the outdoors um, from the beginning? Yeah. Um, so I um, am 25, live in Western Kentucky. I've lived here since June of 2018, but I'm uh, upper Michigan native, lived there my whole life. Um, that's where I grew up hunting, mainly with my dad, uh, being a one of four daughters of his, he doesn't have any sons. He kind of turned me into his tomboy and hunting partner. So, um, pretty much just hunted a lot of small games and, uh, rifle hunted deer up there, um, was about all that I was into. Um, but it definitely kept me intrigued in the outdoors and obviously it was time spent with my dad. And so I appreciated that a lot and loved learning from him. Um, you know, and continued obviously hunting throughout my whole life. And then now, I hunt just about everything <laughs> from small as a squirrel to hoping to go out, uh, you know, shoot an elk one day or a big mule deer out west or something. So definitely uh, still into it, if not more into it now than I was before. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you, you mentioned elk there at the end. Kentucky's got a pretty decent population of elk now, don't they? Yes, in, in East Kentucky for sure. Okay. What a, yeah, I do believe, I'm not sure the how it works, I do believe you have to be drawn. Um, you have to be drawn, and then you can each use a self-guide or uh, be at an outfitter. And lucky for me, if I do ever um, get drawn, I have, um, I have actually, I, think I may have met her one time through like a women's hunting group, um, but she's a guide out there. So, kind of got a little bit of way in over there already. <laughs> that's awesome. I... I love elk hunting. Um, I'm actually heading out. Let's see, not this, not two days from now, but next Wednesday, um, we're heading out to Colorado. So I'm pretty pumped about that. Mm, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking our honeymoon somewhere out west to go mule deer hunting um, when our daughter gets older and and, and she can uh, travel with us. So that's awesome. Fun. Yeah, mule deer hunting, elk hunting, basically everything out west is pretty sweet, but my heart still belongs to whitetail hunting with a bow. I don't know why that's like my go-to. It's my favorite and really it's going to take something crazy to, to take the number one spot as far as hunting goes. Funny story. I, so I've, I started bow hunting six years ago. This, this will be my sixth season. So it's not something I've done my whole life. I've definitely had my hats off to people who have mastered this because it is not easy. Bow hunting is hard. I've lost some deer. I've lost does. I've lost bucks. Just not making great shots. I don't know. Too nervous, too fast. But this year, opening day of Kentucky archery season, I uh, double lunged a big 11 pointer um, and he fell 40 yards. <laughs> so that is awesome. It was pretty surreal. Yeah. And I uh, had about an hour and a half walk in, real, real far, real quiet walk um into a bedding area so i i beat him and i beat his nose my wind was blown his way he never smelt me and so i was pretty pretty pumped about that and he is gonna i believe make uh pope and young so dang that's that's really rewarding for your first bow kill <laughs> yeah no kidding so, yeah i'm excited wow um i haven't had officially scored yet but i, I, I we, we rough scored him i believe he's gonna make it 
That's cool. What uh, what does that mean for the rest of your season? How many can you shoot another buck in mm-hmm. Kentucky? Nope, in Kentucky it's just one. Um, okay. We for some of the leases we have, we have to kill so many does a year off farmers' property, and uh, we've actually gotten such an abundance of us between me, my husband, his mom, and his stepdad. We we shoot a lot of does. Um, we donate to our Amish people here close. Nice. And then um, this year we're actually going to be donating it to the school, which donates it to families that, you know, can't afford food and stuff. So we're we're donating a lot of our does um, that we kill and stuff to the school now here local. So that's okay. fun. So I'm still shooting does now this time of the year, even though I'm tagged out and it kind of stinks because we're coming up in a rut. And my husband's rubbing it into my face that he's a tag and I don't, but I'm happy. I got this my first velvet buck too. So all in all, like, I don't even care that I'm tagged out. <laughs> oh yeah, if I could, if I could shoot a deer that made Boone and Crockett, and then also please my wife because it meant I wasn't going out anymore, she would be <laughs> so pumped. <sighs> what uh, what does hunting there look like versus Michigan? Because I'm guessing, like I moved down here from Wisconsin t- to Missouri. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm currently at. And there were some major differences. What did that look like for you growing up, knowing how to hunt in Michigan, and then moving down to Kentucky? Um, Not only, like, terrain and whatever um, other differences, it's also just the way people hunt. Like, my dad hunts so much different than people here. Um, I don't even know how to explain it. But so, like, up, up where I hunted at our cabin, very swampy. Um, so there wasn't really a whole lot, you know, we didn't have fields around us bringing deer in, um, you know, you were allowed to bait only what could fit in a five gallon bucket once a day. So anytime you went out to bait, which clearly you wouldn't go and do every day, you could only bring out what a five gallon bucket can hold. Um, and some places you have to walk cause you can't get a four wheeler or anything in. So it's so swampy. So, um, they just, these deer don't grow that big. They're, they don't have any nutrients. They're eating bark and pine cones and moss and dry grass they don't so that was you know different going from that to learning early season deer here are on soybeans and when the soybeans turn then they're on acorns and then from acorns and they'll go to cut corn fields and like learning all that was all brand new to me um learning turkeys was different for me they're totally different um here so like i said not only terrain but the way people you know the way my dad hunted turkeys and deer is polar opposite of how my husband and I now hunt turkeys and deer yeah it's totally different you know up there we hunted a lot of times in a blind a heated blind with propane because you had to I mean you're likely to hunt and it's it's zero degrees you how long can you sit in zero degrees staying still whereas here you can sit out for a few hours even in the winter time and you know not freeze feel like you're freezing to death so I don't have any blinds here so hunting out of tree stands was new for me so a lot of stuff a lot of new stuff for me learning, but it's been fun. I love to learn and my husband loves to teach. So it's been a great little team effort. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. What, a, I mean, if you had to choose, would, do you prefer the um, hunting in the summer or in the heat out of a tree stand? Or would you prefer going back to zero hunting in a blind? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I always thought I was easily going to say Kentucky, 
and it's not necessarily the hunting out of a blind. There's nothing like hunting when it's snowing, when there's yep. snow on the ground and you can see every bit of deer movement because they don't blend in. They stand out. And to me, I do love that. There's nothing better than getting up on opening day and there's snow falling from the sky. That's, that does obviously touch a little bit with my heart because that's home, but I wouldn't trade the quality of deer that I have here just for that. Yeah. So I do enjoy hunting here just for the quality of deer, you know, that's, so that's a little bit different. You know, the difference in deer here would keep me here for sure. I like it better here. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I cannot stand hunting when it's hot out, like sitting in a tree stand and having the sun beating down on me is one of my least favorite things on the flip side. I love it. If it's cold, same thing as what you're saying. If there's snow on the ground, I mean, that's just what I grew up doing. I remember going out, you know, as a 13 year old kid on the side of a hill in the middle of the woods and I would jump up as high as I could and then land on a snowbank <laughs> in the seated position, make like a little recliner sofa deal, and just, I mean, I'd pass out probably 90% of the time. But if I wasn't, I was very comfortable and uh, probably wasn't even able to be seen by deer because I was buried in it. Um, after, hilarious. After I've never heard out. that before. <laughs> oh, yeah, that uh. was like my go-to. I mean, we didn't. We didn't really hunt out of tree stands or blinds until until probably like 17, 18 years old. Like everybody mm-hmm. would sit in a chair in the woods, on the ground, on a five-gallon bucket, um, and then all of a sudden everyone started getting tree stands, and it was so weird. I, yeah. I started building my own, and that probably was not safe. <laughs> what um. What got you into tracking? Because that is like, I don't know, something about dogs working, watching them just do what they were kind of designed or created for. Um, what what got you into that? Um, if you ever get the chance to go and watch one, even if it's a buddy, I'll just say go ahead and do it because that's, that's what happened to me. So. In, um, it would have been September of 2018 after I moved here. After a couple of months, um, we had been baiting and getting on camera really nice deer. And um, this is actually a funny story of how I got the shot of this deer. Um, he was showing up on our cameras. At this time, we didn't have cell cams. We have cell cams now. So we go and check cameras and see, oh, he was in here in the morning. You know, he's turned out he's a morning deer. He'll stay late in the morning, but will not come early. So I had my husband drop me off. Um, at two in the morning and I quietly walked through the beans and got in from the back of my blind as quiet as I could. And I slept until daylight because, you know, driving a truck and, and parking and walking the road or you have to walk in when, where you park, it, it would just bust them out of there. You know, they're in there eating at those times when you're walking, whereas two in the morning, he still wasn't quite made it to our corn. So I went in the middle of the night left until daylight and I actually was just texting saying I'll call you in a little bit I'm about to head out and I looked up and there he was 150 velvet beautiful as ever and so I drew back on him again this would have only been um like my third year bow hunting and I and he you know my husband was telling me if he's acting weird anticipate for string jump so aim just a little bit lower yeah. and I was in the ground blind so I I thought you know I I anticipated that practicing shooting lower just seeing 
you know, naive and not really knowing what I was doing when he was comfortable. He wasn't nervous. He had no clue I was there. And I shot, and he did not jump. And it was just a low shot. So we called a local deer tracker named Lance Brantley with OnTrack Deer Recovery. And he came out seven hours later, and um, we tracked this deer in the exact opposite direction of where we would have looked for him. We would have probably gave up, and he was still alive. So oh, we tried to chase him down so I could get another. Yeah, we never recovered him. I tried to get another bow shot at him, and he he they're just tough. And the will to live of a white-tailed buck is mind-blowing. Um, and, I mean, he was trying to deter us in every way possible, and he ran pretty much um, retracted on our phones, a three-mile circle, and he ran 30 yards from behind our truck where we parked, ran almost to the spot that I shot him, almost to like by a foot down the same original blood trail the dog followed in the beginning but instead of taking a left at the tree line he went right so we pulled for the night we're all very tired dog was very hot (coughs) excuse me hot and we went back the next morning and the the dog could not do anything so we we weren't sure exactly what the situation was if the deer didn't die or what you know whatever and we just didn't recover him but anyway seeing him do that sparked me and you know, I kind of asked Lance if I could ever tag along with him. I'd love to help and, and learn and watch. And he took me under his wing, and he's a great teacher. His dog is, I'd like to say, about the best in the state right now. He's, he's pretty good. So it was cool to be behind him, um, even though he's really strong. <laughs> and he'll drag you into a briar thicket, <laughs> even if you don't want to go through it. <laughs> what, what kind of dog does he have? He's got a, a bloodhound, a black and tan bloodhound. Okay. What, um, I mean, is that like the most common is, uh, are there other breeds that are really good for blood tracking? Yes. Many other breeds. Um, obviously bloodhounds very common because they're called a bloodhound. Yeah. Um, but, um, the wired hair dashes, however you say their names, they're the, the guy, um, John Jennings, he wrote like the book about tracking. And if you're a tracker, you got to have the book. If you started into it, he, he runs those wired hairs. And I, I've Lance actually has one. Her name's Charlie and she's a mean little machine. I don't know. They just have got noses. I mean, people use, Oh gosh, I don't even know. I can't even think of all the names of dogs. I mean, people use labs. I use at one point for fun. Whenever I started following Lance, my great Pyrenees, you know, each dog can track. It's a natural ability. It's just, you know, if their background comes from it and, you know, the bloodhound's going to be more interested in it than, you know, probably your black lab or something like that, but not saying they couldn't track. My friend has a Dalmatian she's tracked with. You know what I mean? They just, if you teach them it and they love it enough, but obviously like bloodhounds and, and dogs of that nature are going to have more scent receptors than just your average Joe dog, you know, and they're just going to have, be able to, Call it, we call them cold nose trackers that can track towards that 48 hour, you know, and 72 hour mark. Whereas some dogs, you know, they have to have it more fresh than that. Dang. But, I can't, there's dogs that can track like 48 to 72 hours later. Oh, I'm trying to think just this year, there's a guy from Indiana that comes down here for the first of bow season. And I recommended him to somebody. Um, and I'll, he was really doubtful, and I said, he's got um, one of them spotted dogs. What are them dogs called? Um, oh, goodness. I'm not good with with dog names sometimes or the breeds. Um, but 
she, yeah, she tracked it like 72 or 71 or something hours later. I mean, the right, it, it's cow. same conditions is a huge thing. Like you go across a sandy beach, they're, they, they're not going to do good. But if you've got the right amount of CRP and leaves and you go, you know, you want to go when the dew falls. So the, the blood kind of gets freshened back up. The scent trail gets freshened back up versus you don't want to go midday at three o'clock in September. It's dry, breezy. It's going to make the conditions hard. But if the conditions are right for a dog, then, you know, they, they can try. You know, they obviously can do it. I've, I don't know the, the longest one we've tracked, but definitely 48 hours at least. But I, I don't know if I've ever ventured to the 72-hour with, with Lance before. But wouldn't surprise me if we have. Yeah. So, so you mentioned when the dew falls it kind of freshens the scent up. Is there a certain level of like moisture or precipitation that is best for a dog to track? Not specifically, but um, any sort of, yes, do moisture, um, a, a light rain. People are like, oh my God, you need to get out here right now. We're going to lose blood. It's going to wash away. Now, if you got a monsoon coming, you either better get on it now or it's a lost cause for everybody. You can't see blood, dog can't smell blood, but a light rain, and yes, most trackers will want to track, you know, past dark or first thing in the morning before the sun gets too high and dry. So that's when your set conditions are best. You know, like I said, not windy days, not good because you, you break to an open field, um, you know, and you've got whatever weaves and stuff blowing around. It's like it can it can blow that one straight scent trail 60 yards to the left and you're in, you know, your dog might be running it. You've got no blood to prove that you're on the right track because your dog's working so far trying to follow this track because the scent line blew. Okay. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. So your set conditions, you definitely, like, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, I'll come out there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Probably not going to do very good. <laughs> yeah. Too dry, too dry and too hot most of the time. Now, wintertime maybe a different story. Even a little bit of snow helps, a little bit, not a lot. Light, fluffy snow can definitely help as well, they say. I've never tracked in snow, so I don't know that. But Yeah, I mean, I feel like it would give me more of a peace of mind following a deer in the snow just for the fact that you could see the blood easier and the tracks, but I have no right. idea how that would affect a dog. Is there a certain amount of time that you'll wait? Or I guess, like if someone were to call you and say, hey, I just shot a deer and I know I shot it far back. Do you tell them, hey, we're going to wait, you know, two hours, four hours, six hours, or do you take up a trail right away? Well, probably. Mm -mm. Gut shot, you want to wait pretty well as long as you can, um, you know, to guarantee a kill. Otherwise, which, you know, it's 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 kind of a suffering game. I mean, you depending on the time of day, you you know, you shoot it in the morning, you know you gut shot it. If there's still daylight, depending on the, the weapon of season, you can get in there and maybe get another – crossbow shot at it, muzzleloader, whatever the season is. But if you go past in there past dark and jump it, which it's happened, some people may not know their shot, finds out it's being gut shot, you jump it and say, I'll be back at 7 a.m. And if you go back at 7 a.m., 60 yards later in the brush, there lays the deer. It ran to its death, but it gave it a chance to expire. Yeah. So um, it just totally depends on shot. You know, people say like a shoulder shot deer, you want to get on ASAP and try to get a shot to it because, they're not going to die nine times out of ten. They're just suffering. They're not going to ever get by. You know, they're they're and more than likely coyotes, especially here. They're going to track them down and kill them before you get to them. You know, liver shot deer, you might give them five, 
seven hours, stuff like that. It's just shot placement is huge, and a lot of times hunters don't know. Um, because you can ask me when I shoot a deer a lot of times, I don't know. I get so excited. It happens so fast. You don't 100% know where your shot is, but a lot of times we ask a ton of questions, right? We sound like we're interrogating somebody. What'd you shoot it with? What type of broadhead? How high were you in the tree? Um, how did the deer act when, you know, when you hit it? Did it buck? Did it run? Did it walk off? Uh, what does your arrow look like? What does it smell like? Send me a picture of the blood. I mean, it's, it's a questionnaire before you decide to go in too early or, you know, if you even think the deer's dead or not, to take the track. Yeah. So it's, it's a question game, of, and it's, it's a learning game. You know, my first track, I would have been like, I don't care what's on the uh, what's on the arrow or if you even found the arrow. You might not even hit the deer, but let's go try to track it. Whereas now, especially having a baby and stuff at home where I, I don't just run and gun anymore. I've got somebody i got to take care of. I kind of filter through what I'm going to take if I feel like it's like today there was a potential um, shoulder shot deer. A lot of times they're not dead. Um, and I had actually this interview with you. So I was like, I'm not going to be able to get you till way late at night. I think you can mind, you know, I'll give you some other numbers. So I gave him some other numbers to call, but stuff like that, you know, I may toss that to somebody else if they want to try to chase it down. But having a baby at home, I kind of, kind of wean myself from five mile, six hour track yeah. <laughs> chasing deer. So for a while anyway, for a couple of years, so she gets a little bit easier to take care of for somebody else. No, that makes sense. Is there, I mean, you mentioned you passed that person off or you passed off information to that person of another tracker. Is the tracking community pretty strong, like, throughout the country? Are there organizations that people can look up if they do need to find a tracker? Yes. Um, The biggest one is um, UBT, United Blood Trackers. Um, not every tracker I know is part of the UBT, so that does not mean like what you see on there is everybody, but they're definitely huge. Um, that is everywhere. Um, now, we, I know last year a girl here local tried to start the Kentucky Deer Tracking Network, which is just pretty much a Facebook page. Um, and, we, I mean, it still gets used. Uh, there's still a map on there with exactly where everyone's located, including myself and our cell phone number. Um, and things like that. But the biggest network I know of is actually the Michigan Deer Tracking Network, believe it or not. Um, I never even heard of deer tracking when I lived there my whole life. I did not hear about it until I moved to Kentucky in 2018. So to know that there was such a big network up there was mind-blowing to me. And a big group of them come down here the first week of um, bow season when it starts to kind of take some of the pressure off us because the amount of phone calls that come in from people we can't you can only run for so long your dogs can only run for so long you've got families you've got work you know you can't tend to all these so these guys come down and i toss so many tracks to them so those to them people out of that network and they're huge i don't know how many um members they have or, or you know handlers they have but it's a lot so yes there's definitely network it is not legal in every state i don't even think it's legal in missouri much no maybe it is they're, they're trying to legalize it in many states. Yeah. Um, as it should be. I mean, that's, 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 you know, another deer recovered, you know, versus, oh, I shot another, I shot that buck, but I didn't recover it. So I get a chance in another one. And then, you know, maybe in shed season, they find the other deer and oh, it was, it was just another hundred yards, but they didn't have to take it, you know? Yeah. So it kind of, 
limit the, the amount of bucks that actually get killed in a year, in my opinion. But uh, it is legal here now in Kentucky. Your dogs have to stay on leash, but not every state's like that. I do believe down south um, you can run your dogs off lead with like GPS and bay the deer and stuff like that. But it is not legal here to run off lead. You have to have them on a leash. Okay. Yeah, I, I've never. Well, I can't say that I've never been on a blood track job with a dog before, but it definitely wasn't anything official. Basically, this guy was like, you know what? I think my dog can do this. And we brought his border collie out. And oh my uh, she he would play games with her like with a ball where he'd hide the ball around uh-huh. the house. And then she would go and sniff it out. And And he's like, you know what? I think she can do this. I've heard of other people doing it. And I don't know if it was luck or if it was just some type of natural instinct she had, but uh, he was walking her, and all of a sudden, I don't, I think the um, leash slipped out of his hand, and the dog takes off running, and so we're sprinting after the dog now in the dark, and within like two and a half minutes, the dog had run about an uh, 120 yards straight to this deer, and it was dead as could be, and we're like. That was the coolest thing ever. Um, well, you never know if they had, you know, that dog could have winded the deer if the wind was blowing just enough for her to smell it. And I mean, that's instinctive. Of, of course, it's going to smell something dead and go roll on it because that's what my dogs do. Yep. <laughs> but yes, I would say very instinctive. I mean, they're, they're descendants of coyotes and, and coyotes, that's all they do. That's how they live. They smell blood and dead stuff and, and wind things and go to it. And so... That's why I said most dogs can track. It's just a matter of how good they can get, <laughs> yeah. how tough the conditions can get, and can and can still push through and find your deer. With but. with tracking deer, um, and all the questions that you asked, have you or that you ask someone leading into a track, have you noticed any patterns? Say, like a gut shot deer, is it going to go to water? Um, I've heard all sorts of different comments or takes on. Like if you shoot a deer in a certain area, like some deer won't run downhill. They'll try to go uphill. They'll try to gain high ground. Some will go to water holes. Um, I don't know. I don't know if any of that is. You're about to start me on a whole spiel about that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I mean, yes, most of the time or sometimes do gut shot deer go to water. Yes, because they get a fever, they get hot, they get thirsty. So that's why a lot of your gut shot deer, if you don't push them, they're going to end up at the nearest water hole if they're close to it and know where it is. That's just the common thing. Um, people even say sometimes with, you know, if you shot it here and not gut, it, it's going to go to water, check water. That's not always true. May You know, your deer could have went to water or that's just it was running through it and that's where it died and you think it went to water. So it's not always the case. I'm sure sometimes it can be. But um, so I've been on, so again, from the beginning, even my deer, I would have went the opposite way. My first deer that I shot and got it tracked, I knew nothing about it. I was like, I would have never 110%. This deer went over the hill of the beans, took a sharp left, and then took a sharp left at the tree line and crossed a main road and was betting on a, I'm talking the thickest hillside that I didn't even think a rabbit could barely get through. And he was bedded there with two other small bucks and two does. We jumped them all. Um, out of there and found their bedding area. We had no clue that they even were there. So again, there would have 
I've never even seen that deer there, and I drove past it every day to go to my house. <laughs> so, again, he went the complete opposite direction. But people always say, well, I, I, you know, I didn't, did you, we'll say, did you look up here <clears throat> or in this area, blah, blah. No, no, he didn't, he didn't go that way. Well, then start going shoulder shot deer <clears throat> straight uphill. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they'll say, no, there's no way he went the day I hit, I, I hit him in the shoulder. I've seen him, seen him fall in his face, you know, running away. And I'll be like, well, there's blood right here. So, and at the top of it, there was a bed. They will go wherever they can to deter you. I, uh, actually, my husband went on this track. He doesn't like your tracking, by the way. <laughs> but he came with Lance and I for, uh, for fun. And I kind of made him go. I was like, just come with us. It's fun. Well, this deer, um, I can't remember the exact shot placement. Obviously, not a lethal shot. The deer was not hurting. Um, it was actually seen alive and shot by somebody else days later. Um, and it, I shouldn't say it was healthy, but it was fine. This deer went up and down um, creeks here. I don't know how they are in Missouri. They're very steep. They're not just like, oh, like walk down a little foot or two foot ledge and get in the creek and cross it. They're like 10 foot straight down, hard to get up and down. Like you have to have somebody help you, you know, with a rope get up sometimes. They're just steep. Um, I don't know if it's the amount of water we get here sometimes in the rain or what, but they're just steep. This deer crossed, so he like ran, he probably ran at this point, I don't even know, two miles. And I think it ended up being a five mile track at the end of the night. My husband said, I'm never going tracking again. He ran up and down this creek bank 11 times. And by then, about the couple, about three or four up and downs, I was smart. I didn't have a dog. I stayed up on the high bank and just followed them. But there was blood proof this whole time. So it's not like, oh, what is that dog doing? There was blood proof from um, the tracker and my husband following the exact, and he was, that's a natural instinct. They've learned that in moving water, even coyotes can't smell, you know, continue. They're, they're trying to deter you. He'll, he'll go in the water here and, and get out of it here, cross back over here, and they just, they're trying to deter any, any predator from finding them. Um, and eventually he gave up on that property. He was getting a little tired, so so were we, and he darted in a field and property we couldn't cross, so we couldn't continue. But that's when they're just strong, like, they'll go anywhere. I've seen deer, um, again, this deer was probably, I think he's field dressed 215. as was an Illinois deer, 215, and he, I believe he was about 160-inch uh, eight-point. Big, just monster old buck. And um, he was weaving through trees while he was injured he was actually um, shot in the neck um, so the hunter had to get another arrow in him but he was bobbing under trees that I literally would have been like there's no way that he, he went this way and I tracked a while by then and we we're finding blood right there and you're like how did his rack get through there hmm. so whenever people say he didn't go that way or he didn't do that or I think he went this way I'll just turn around and go the other way because he likely went where they think he didn't go yeah. They're mind blowing. They're so smart, so strong. Like a white tailed buck is just the strongest thing I've seen in my entire life <laughs> by far. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I'm surprised every time I have to track a deer. Fortunately, up until this year, I haven't really had to track many deer that I've shot. I've either seen them go down or heard them go down. Um, mm -hmm. but this year, was the first one, but I mean, growing up, tracking deer with people, seeing how much blood they can lose and still be on their feet, how many times they bed down, 
um, the directions they go. In my mind, I'm like, man, if I'm hurt, I, I just always think of it like if I have a sprained ankle, I'm not going up and down hills. I'm not crossing water. I'm not doing any of this. But you're right. Deer, deer have to get away from predators and they have to lose them or lose anything following them. And mm-hmm. now that you're saying that, I think of it like, man, you see in movies people running from the police, right? And they'll do right. anything. They'll jump over fences. They'll they'll hop in mm-hmm. vehicles, motorcycles, like bust through windows. And now I'm going to think of that as a wounded deer, like whatever it takes <laughs> to get away. That's right. That is, that's exactly true. That's how it is. They don't, they know nothing but to like fight or flight. They, they, they got to run for their life. That's how they're going to live. You know, whether it's up or downhill or over here, I mean, they don't care. They're going, what they're going away from you. So when, when you got into tracking, uh, what was kind of the next step? You get a dog, and then did you train the dog? Did you uh, have your buddy help you train the dog? Um, or um, is it like waterfowl dogs where you can send them off to have them professionally trained? Um, you can do any of it. You, I mean, there are people that obviously train tracking dogs. Um, I personally wanted to do it myself just for uh again that that, uh, that attachment to a dog you know i want that bond i want me to be the one to train it i want the satisfaction of saying i trained this one so after running behind hank this big bloodhound for uh two years two seasons um i realized that he doesn't care about me and he doesn't care about my well-being and he's drugged me down hills before because with him you cannot let go of the lead because if you let go of the lead that dog is gone 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 like he's just gonna chase deer till his heart stops you'll never find him and he did not have a gps collar on at the time obviously we've learned our lessons on almost losing dogs to put gps collars to ones that are like that that don't listen you know because they have one track mind they're all about that deer they're not about listening to you bloodhounds they're very for themselves i'll call them they're not like a lab where they want to please their owner they're very about themselves and satisfactory for themselves at least in the hunting world, I shouldn't say that about all bloodhounds. But so I learned being behind Hank, I'm like, he's, his nose is unbelievable, but I'm, you know, 150 pound, five foot seven girl. You know, how, how many times, I mean, there's, like I said, times where you just get so wore out and say, please take this dog or you tie it to a tree because you're like, I've got to take a break. I mean, it just wears you out and you're taking sometimes four tracks a night back to back to back and you're just tired so I'm like well I'm gonna get something that's a little more obedient and if I tell it to sit and heal by me it's gonna sit down until I give it that cue so I looked into a German Shepherd now where I failed I got excited someone's like hey here's a litter and I bought the dog I did not look into if there's any trek in history and there was not they had shed hunt in history but that's not really the same thing I know it's deer but it's not quite the same aspect so I, any, I, again, at the time I just got him and started training him at eight weeks old. Even as a young dog, I mean, he was doing super good. He loved it. I mean, even now I call him quote retired. He's like three, but he, um, he still will track if I need him to. He just would rather be my porch dog. Like he'll, he'll track if I, you know, if a friend called and was like, Hey, can you come track? And I'm like, Oh, I'm busy with my bloodhound, but go to my house and get cheap. I would trust him that he could do a decent job. He just, He's less than 12 hours, which is mind-blowing for a shepherd. 
That's what I could think. He's obedient, and he's got a great nose. They're drug dogs. You know, that was my thought process, but he's just not quite what I needed for the public here. So um, Hank, the dog I used to be behind, had a litter this year. And so that's why I've now, I now have a 10-month-old puppy out of that dog I used to trap behind. Oh, nice. So he's now going to be my full-time thing. He's just still in training. So I went through a season and a half with Chief, my shepherd, um, and then I actually had my baby. I tracked till I was eight and a half months pregnant and then finally said, all right, this is too tiring. I can't do it anymore. This is killing me. I'm going to have the baby in the woods. <laughs> so um, he only got to track till November. Uh, but my last track was actually I found a buck for a veteran. So that was super cool. Um, and then I pulled from tracking. So I only got to track with him for a season and a half. And then he's just kind of been my, my porch dog since then. But now um, I'm on to a bloodhound who I trained this summer. Um, he was doing great. He was doing 19-hour-old tracks with just a deer hoof and less than an ounce of blood throughout the whole thing. Just stamping the hoof in the ground like a deer would walk just doing that um and so he should prove himself you know throughout the rest of the season and the upcoming years so i'm excited about him he's got great background so you know both parents are trackers their grandparents and their great-grandparents are trackers so i should be pretty set up in the future to have a good dog yeah he's just gonna be strong <laughs> <laughs> can can you walk me through the process like when you show up after you ask the questions, like, where did you hit it? How high were you? What broadheads were you using? All of that. Um, what happens next? You just find the blood trail and you send the dog or you, you follow the dog or, um, um, do you have to make sure like it, I guess also what if there is no blood or the blood dries up? Will the dog stay on one specific deer scent or could another deer, you know, cross paths and pull the dog's nose off. Yes, I'm glad you asked that, and I'll route back to it, because that's probably the most important thing I want to talk about, because I don't believe that many people, even though they've hunted their whole life, don't actually know um, about this. So um, when it comes to getting to the shot, getting to the hunter, um, you, like I said, after you know all the information, um, you pretty much just bring me to the shot site. Now with the experienced dog, if they've already tracked, 500 yards and they know where their last blood is and it's easily accessible, you know, say if a deer circled back around instead of taking that whole half moon back to where they've already tracked through and found blood the whole way, maybe go their last blood. But like with my young dog, I would rather, um, this is just my opinion. This isn't everybody. I'll go to the hit site and get him locked onto that deer from the start. That way, whenever we get to that point of loss, he's already just it, knows with the ground and on the deer he's on. So, um, that's, you know, for me right now, I would go to the shot site, ask, you know, where's your stand? Where was it? Where was the deer standing? Where did it, where'd you last see it and go from there? Um, and a lot of times this is where it gets tricky and people don't, they don't know to do this, but again, they don't know you shoot a deer, you're going to go look for it. Um, and a lot of times they get to that last blood, you fan search it, you grid search it, you get five buddies and you search it. Well, little do you know you know, the deer was running or something and dropping blood, even in dirt on leaves and overturning leaves. And then you step on it and you track it 30 to 60 yards, whatever over here. When you bring a dog in, they don't know that your footprint with that blood on it to them is 
blood there, blood there, blood there, and they keep going, and then they're lost. And then they've got to, if they're experienced enough, they'll reset themselves at a dead end and say, okay, this isn't it. So a lot of times, and hunters are never honest, unfortunately, you can say, bring me to where you stop tracking, and there will be a fresh line where there's no human scent, no track scent, you know, get me past, even if it's 100 yards, get me past that point where you look and let me fan the area and try to hit that fresh line yeah. to let the dog take off again. And, I mean, I've done it hundreds of times with the land, um, and it works. You just have to have them be honest with you where you got there, and the dog can continue. So that's the biggest thing with telling hunters is if you think you're going to need a dog, if your shot's questionable and you think there's, Maybe it was high and you're not going to get a lot of blood. Contact the dog and wait for him. It's worth it. Um, you know, it's better than tracking up the area. And like my young dog, he'll probably struggle for a while, you know, trying to get past that human scent where they've tracked it all over, the blood or whatever, or skin follicles, any of that, where they've tracked it all over and didn't know. And the dog's trying to be like, well, where did this deer go? Where did this deer go? Getting them past that's hard. But I've also seen Hank, the experienced bloodhound, struggle with a grid search for over an hour it's just they're just i mean they're smart they're dogs but they also don't know what all that is you know that yeah. difference in where you tracked it versus where the deer actually went so getting them past that's important so um yes dogs are these dogs are called bloodhounds that we have however part of it and it's part it's crucial in training teaching them this so deer between their hooves is a little gland um, you can fit like a Q-tip up there, whatever. Um, that's what I do for training. Um, it's called the interdigital sex scent gland. And when a deer is injured, it will secrete a liquid. So like on impact, your you, your bow or your uh, arrow hits that deer and it's, his hoof instantly starts secreting stuff and takes off. So that's why there's such strong scent in the beginning. Um, there's also hair there, skin, blood, whatever. Um, and then as it goes and all that stuff starts to peter out, you, hopefully by then your dog's locked on to that specific deer, which is why they can cross over even a fresh deer that just ran in front of you and keeps going is because they're trained for that, to smell that, the blood and the individual. And Lance, my buddy, gave the best references. When we go into a pizza restaurant, whatever, we smell pizza. A dog would smell pepperoni, cheese, blah, blah, blah. They smell everything. So with a deer, we see blood. They smell everything. They smell that whole deer, its entire scent. And it can follow that entire, you know, it's trained to follow the scent you tell it to follow. Yeah. So that's how they can pick it out is a deer actually secretes scent. That's why, you know, coyotes get on your deer before you do because they're just running around looking for stuff to kill and eat. And they come across that scent, and they know exactly what it is. This deer is injured. This deer is down. This deer may be catchable, you know, whatever. And then they get on your deer before you do. That's why. It's the same thing. A dog, can, it, it, you know, instinctively can smell that as well, and they go for it. So that's when necessarily with a gut shot deer, you're really not going to get anything. You're not going to find. But that a gut shot is a 100% lethal shot. The deer's going to die might be three days from now but it's going to die but it's going to put out a ton of interdigital scent so even though there's no blood that's when a dog is crucial otherwise you're just gonna have to wait to see buzzards you know what i mean yep so that's the coolest part that blew my mind i'm like so you don't actually need blood you know i first started this and now that's a huge part of my training is making sure that the dog understands that that's part of this 
It's not just blood. It's not just that. I call it blood icing on the cake. If there's blood, then it's just like a little treat, a little like, let me lick it up and taste it and keep going type yeah. thing. I mean, these bloodhounds will dig their nose in a hoof print in the dirt and smell it just to make sure they're on the right deer and keep going. It's pretty cool. Gosh, pretty mind I want to see smart. that so bad. I mean, you, you talking about this, I can just imagine being behind one of these animals and seeing, yeah, just seeing it do what it was created to do. Um, now with, with both the German shepherd and the bloodhound, are they barking? Are they like bellowing while they're tracking or are they pretty silent and just smelling? Just smelling. Um, mine, mine do not, that it's not for all. Some dogs do. Um, it's not ideal, especially if a deer's alive, you want to be as quiet as possible. You know, that way, especially, you know, you're in daylight and you get a shot at it. You want to just try to just do your thing quietly and talk quietly. And you don't really want a dog making a bunch of noise. Now, like your bay dogs down south, further south, that, you know, like black mouth curs and stuff that run dogs. Um, they're obviously probably going to be barking. They're, they're like along that line of running coons and stuff. They're just, that's just what they do. You know, versus these dogs. Now, Hank. Whenever you would maybe pull him, you found a deer, or again, say you're running this deer and you know maybe you just jumped it, or it's a fresh scent, or it's easy for him, and you stop him for a minute to catch your breath, let the hunter catch up. Because a lot of times we're running, um, he gets mad and he'll start chewing sticks and howling and stuff like that. But when they're actually on the track, they're just we call it nose popping. They're just like snorting, sniffing. This is all they're doing. Okay. Um, mine don't make noise. Hank didn't make a whole lot of noise. Um, even the black mouth cur that Lance used to have that I ran a couple of times, he did not bark. So it's just dog specific. It's not, you know, some may bark, some may not. You just hope they don't try to keep it quiet out there, you know? Yeah, so. that, that makes perfect sense. I know, um, I've, I've ran behind, um, beagles for rabbits before. And they just made so much noise. I mean, it was oh, they're ridiculous. It was constant, and I was like, "Man, I can't imagine like b- being behind a big dog trying to track a deer." And I didn't know if that was something you could uh, train out of them, or if certain breeds just did and some didn't. I don't know if you could train it out of them because with tracking, there really can't be a whole lot of negative reinforcement, like a shot collar or a bark collar, or they will not want to do it okay. so it is nothing but positive reinforcement and you know if you make a training line and they don't find it reward them anyway pet them love them like you can't you can't stern them and you know track it up you can't you can't get on to them they'll just give up they'll say well this isn't very fun you know they're not like a lot of other uh, sports where you know you can get on to them like a duck hunting dog you can use a shot collar that's not the same with this some people probably do but it's not the best choice probably okay you know, they'll, they'll learn to not want to track cause it's not fun. You know, they have to want to do it or they're, it's not going to work. If that, that part of your team doesn't want to be doing what it's doing, your whole team's going to fail. That's your most important piece. So if they're not happy, it's not going to work. So you have to keep them happy pretty much. Yeah. Um, I know with other, with other, um, dog sports in relation to hunting, um, they say like, the more dogs, the better. A lot of guys like running big packs of beagles for rabbits. There's people, same thing with like mountain lions, bears. 
I know of guys that will go and run 10 dogs on a pheasant field. Uh, do blood tracking dogs work well together or is it typically a, a single dog sport? Typically it's a single dog. Um, I like to run mine alone. Mine are not trained with other dogs around. Um, and I feel like it's a distraction. I have in the past when my shepherd was a puppy looking for a doe that I shot, um, didn't even know if he's going to be able to find it. He was really young. And I actually had Lance come back in with one of his puppies that was a little bit older, had a little more tracks under its belt. And they just, well, I shouldn't say they. My shepherd was just like a puppy. He wanted, well, what's that puppy doing over there? He had a hard time focusing, but my friend Marley that tracks with the Dalmatian, she tracks alongside a um, uh, yellow lab. But they're, they've done that from day one. They've tracked with each other, so they actually kind of assist each other. You know, one, they're kind of, kind of a backup. You know, the Dalmatian goes first, and if she kind of struggles at one point, they might bring in the other dog behind and kind of let her guide. But in my opinion, I'll always travel alone. I want that dog to be focused. I don't want to say much. I don't want to talk too loud. You know, I don't want to make a bunch of noise. I just want to let him work um, by himself. Mine would get distracted because he was not trained with another dog. So I run solo, but I'm sure that, you know, them bay dogs, you pro- you're going to probably need more than one. I don't know. I've never done that. Never hunted down south where they actually do that. But I'm sure more than one dog is useful in baying a deer, I would guess. So, but not, not for me. Yeah. Um, what about, what about like using one dog for multiple, uh, types of outdoor activities? Can, can your dogs like still go out and shed hunt or when it's a blood tracking dog, is it basically just a blood tracking dog? Um, mine, I, I don't, I, I'm not trained them for more than one thing so I personally can't speak on that a whole lot I would say that it's doable but you can also I've heard some people say like they might be able to do all those things but they're probably not going to be an expert in all of them you know they might be mediocre in all of those but they're not going to like whereas like my bloodhound probably is going to excel at tracking blood because that's all he does yeah but you know it's also like you bring them to the woods to I don't know, look for sheds or whatever the case would be, you know, what if he, he might take, you can't run a shed dog on a leash and obviously he don't, he don't listen very good. <laughs> he's not really, you know, got the greatest manners. He's just kind of just does his thing um, on a leash. So if you let him off, he's not going to listen to me first of all, but he's just going to chase deer. That's all he knows how to do. Now, if I train him as a young dog, maybe, but I, I want him to excel, um, in what he's in what he's doing in this one job i don't need him to do nothing else you know if i need a shed dog i'll get a black lab i'll, I'll get another dog i'm not going to give him too many jobs you know yep so i'm sure people do do it i don't have any that do that <laughs> multiple jobs um i know i think before we started recording you mentioned uh that you have multiple dogs uh how many how many dogs do you currently have I have four. Okay. And got, um go ahead. Uh and two of them are working dogs and the other two are house dogs, is that right? 
technically three of them are house dogs now. I've kind of, like I said, retired my shepherd. He just, he just hangs, he pretty much lives outside by choice. He likes to be, he likes to just sit in my garage and protect the house. He's, he's a good protector dog, better nice. than a, better than a blood tracking dog. But if I ever needed him in a bind, you know, like I said, say I've got my bloodhound somewhere else and a friend here close to my house says, Hey, I need a dog right now. I'll just say, go to the house and get him. He still can do it. He's just not quite that expert level. I want this bloodhound to be at. He He's already reached where he's going to be. And that's kind of just a mediocre tracking dog. And yeah. so that's why I say he's kind of retired. He just does his thing. He just, he likes to, he's kind of still a puppy, acts like a puppy. He likes to play with my other dogs. He likes to go for truck rides. You know what I mean? He's kind of just still kind of a little dumb, and but I love him. He's sweet as can be. But yeah, I've got an old ten-year-old um, shepherd mix that's just literally my house dog. She's just fat and happy, and then I've got a blue healer mix that kills everything in sight. <laughs> and so we would love for him. He chases deer, but that's any deer. He doesn't care if it's hurt or not. He's going to chase it. But he's the kind of dog that would be on a blood trail and literally be like squirrel and run after the squirrel. So he wouldn't be the best tracking dog, but he he kills squirrels, rabbits, possums, snakes runs deer off the yard there's nothing living that's allowed in our yard because of that dog he lives outside permanently again by choice and is just a hunting machine which i found him at the dollar store he was like about to have a heat stroke so i saved him and now he's just like the best predator con- or uh, yeah he's like our predator controller keeps the cows away he's kind of nice and then obviously my bloodhound case who's 10 months old nice do you He's uh, really my only working dog and maybe going to make me some money one day. <laughs> yeah. Are you, do you think you'd ever deviate from a bloodhound again if you were to get another tracking dog or do you think you're going to stick pretty close to bloodhounds? Um, it depends on how he turns out. Um, I really do like him. He's a great dog. I like his personality. You know, I love the breather. Obviously just ridiculous, smart and talented, but, um, some people I know have got these Bavarian mountain hounds and they are a much more compact, smaller dog, um, much easier house type dog. So my bloodhound lives outside. He's just, he's, he lives um, in a kennel. He's, you know, they're just sloppy, dirty dogs and they're, they don't make the greatest house dogs. They're very drooly. Their drool is very sticky, very hard to get off things. But these Bavarians, they're kind of, the size of um, a healer, maybe a little taller and skinnier. They're not quite that big build, um, but they are bred for that. And a friend of mine here has one. I think this is only her second season tracking, and she's finding deer like crazy. Nice. I've never been behind one, but there is a trainer here, kind of local, and that's all he breeds and sells. And if he ever has to run dogs, that's what he runs. So I would probably venture to the Bavarian. That's probably the only one that I have interest. I've messed with a black mouse cur. They're too loud for me, like in a kennel. They bark literally 24-7. I can't <laughs> do it. Um, I don't, I don't. again, don't want a beagle. They bark too much, but beagles can track. Um, I, don't, I would maybe try the wired hairs just for fun. They're kind of fun. You get done with the track, and you get to carry them back out to the truck after they worked hard. You know, they don't have to run back. It's kind of funny, but, you know, they are so little. There's been sometimes like, that's the tracking dog, and you're like, just wait. Just watch her. I don't know if it's because they're so close to the ground or what, but they just work like crazy. But they do get tired easy, so that is a downfall. If you're chasing a deer far, if you're a lot of water, 
they are very small and get tired much easier than a bloodhound or a Bavarian. Um, so a Bavarian would be my next go around if, if I wanted to venture out of bloodhounds. But as of right now, I have no reason to, you know, change what I'm doing, but I don't want more, more than one tracking dog right now. I don't, I, you know, I don't have anybody to help me. My husband doesn't like it. So what's the point of having two dogs, you know? Yeah. So I'm only going to have one for now until there was ever a dire need for two, maybe when he gets older, but I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to have to do some research. And, uh, I know you mentioned you didn't know if it was legal here in Missouri. I honestly don't, I don't know if it is or not. I know there's a lot of different hound sports that people do, but I don't know if blood tracking is one of them. So I'll have to find out about that because this yeah, is very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, where are you at, Missouri? Just curious question. Springfield. Like central, so south? South, southwest Missouri. Gotcha. So pretty far from me. I was going to say you have to come by some sometime here, which you still can come to West Kentucky. Um, yeah. But – um, I, the, the only reason I say, I don't know if it's legal there because when I was tracking with Lance and even still now, I don't get him as much now, especially cause I, I had a baby last year. I kind of pulled out of the track and kind of, my name kind of wasn't revolved around in the tracking world for a good rest of the season last year. So people kind of think that I'm not tracking this year, but, um, I'm just getting back into it this year slowly and hopefully going to hit it hard next year. But we get, we used to get calls from everywhere. Literally, Tennessee, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana. I mean, like, you name it, we got calls. And we never got a call from Missouri with it being right there. Mm. It just makes me feel like nobody truly knows about tracking dogs because it's not legal. There's an Illinois deer tracking network. Um, you know what I mean? So there's, like, these other states that have called and offered, hey, you know, I know about tracking dogs because I believe they're legal there. Um, but I don't know. We've, I've never personally gotten a call from Missouri ever. Because I don't think they're legal there. Yeah, but I, again, I could be wrong on that. It's not a fact, but I've never gotten a call from Missouri, and that's weird to me because there's huge deer in Missouri, there and there's are, a yeah. ton of people that hunt in Missouri, and we've never gotten a call from there. So, yeah, definitely have to look into it. I would, I'd like to track there. I like Missouri. I think there's big deer there. <laughs> there are definitely but, big deer here. I, I mean, this was a huge shock to me moving from Wisconsin, especially being. Like growing up hunting the county next to the number one Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young County in the country. Like I was just mm-hmm. used to big deer and seeing maybe not shooting big deer, but seeing other people shoot big deer. And so I came down to Missouri mm-hmm. and I was thinking, oh, it's going to be like these tiny little bucks, like 90 in tracks, this and that. And as soon as I had property I could put trail cameras on, I was seeing 130, 40, 50 inch deer. And multiple every year and so that's been that's been a treat for sure compared to what i was expecting yeah that's cool that's good um well hey we're coming up on an hour here and uh i want to i want to let you get back to your night but uh one last question and then i'll give you an opportunity to share where people can find you and reach out to you if they need someone to help track um but how many how many tracks do you do a year? Would you say? Um, obviously, it's going to vary. Um, like I try to keep my radius small right now, close to home, because I don't charge right now because my dog's in training, so I don't charge anything, fuel, time, nothing. So that being said, I try to stay close to home. 
and you know, I'm not always going to get a call every weekend for less than 30 miles or less than an hour from here. But I think when I ran with Lance, the last season I ran with him, which is with, this is running everywhere. This is going to East Kentucky, Illinois, taking any call that you feel like you could take and it was going to be a dead deer, we would go and obviously have the time and money for. Um, I believe we were really close to 100 tracks last year. Wow. Or not last year, the year prior, sorry. And I, I would say that he exceeds that now. His name has grown so much. Um, he's obviously he's got satellite trackers now. He's got multiple people with multiple dogs that track with him and alongside him. And, and he takes many, many calls, uh, many calls a night. Uh, I know he was taking a trip to Illinois tonight to go track a deer for somebody and pass the track on to me. But I was working, so I had to pass the track to somebody else. So, um you know, it just depends. You know, with my shepherd, my first year, I maybe recovered. This isn't tracks I went on, but recovered like 15 deer, including does, bucks, both. Um, and I would say for somebody who doesn't track all the time, every day, and that's all they do in the winter, that's probably about average, 15 to 25. You okay. know, that might even be total calls that you go on. But most of the time, your recovery rate is like, less than 30% or at 30%. A lot of deer that we track are not dead. Um, And like I said, that's the right, like 30% or less is dead. And the rest are, you jumped them, you know, prove that, Hey, that's your deer. He either ran off healthy or, you know, we'll come look for him tomorrow or come look for him tomorrow. And then they find him or whatever the case would be. Um, so that's that. I do have one story for you and I'll make it fast and then we can kind of close it up. I should have, said it earlier but it's just a pretty <laughs> cool good. story um the this was one of the Trackville county they grid searched forever this guy actually took a, a boat in um on the ohio river instead of going by truck he wanted to go in where nobody else could get to by walking so he took a, a boat in from water and went uh climbed a tree and he the only shot he had at this deer i guess was straight down and he in the past has been very skeptical of tracking dogs. Um, I think he said he's seen one that kind of just acted the fool. You know, maybe as a young dog, you never know the situation. But he was like, I just wasn't pleased with the dog, but I'll try it as a last resort before I go back to, um, you know, whatever state he was from. And so, it's actually, his name's Dave Owens. He's with the Pinhoti Project. You know who that is? I don't. He's he's a he's a big YouTuber. Okay. Um, he's a big turkey hunter. With, like I said, Pinhoti is, I think means something to do with turkeys in some language but anyway so it's cool to track from he recorded most of it but he was very doubtful in the beginning so we were super like let's work super hard on this track like extra hard because we want to show him that you know these dogs are super useful you know kind of it's just to try harder so we this is him and his dad track this area this ridge all day long tracking i mean leaves are falling it's a big ridge rocks are falling down blowing leaves over all this stuff and this is that place i was talking earlier that hank struggled for about an hour to work past where they done and we all just kind of hung out and let the dog do his thing and then lance was like here let me look at my map i need to try to figure out what direction this deer might have went and take this dog so i took and let the dog just do his thing i got him past this area and he brought me to water now this is a this is a knowing your dog type thing like i don't quite know my dog yet i've not went on multiple multiple years of tracks with him to know what he's telling me but I had been behind Hank at this point for two seasons. And so I kind of knew his dog and he knew his dog, but I 
brought them down and there's this um, big creek called, we call it trade water here that runs Ohio. It's big, long, um, or, or wide, sorry, big, wide creek. Um, and Hank went in there and, and he'll stop to get water as any dog does when they're thirsty. But he went in there and the water wasn't really moving um, very fast. And he kind of just stuck his nose down the water and smelled and then stuck his nose up. So I pulled him out of the water and I went to Lance and I said, that dog went to water and he did not drink. And he's done this before, and that tells me that you're crossed right there. So he's like, well, bring him back to where your last piece of blood was and try again. So I did it again. He brought me to the same spot, done the same thing. And that dog can smell the deer if it crossed through stale water, not moving water. He can smell that that deer lingered through there. Well, this guy, of course, was like, there's no way that he had this hole in his back. There's no way that he crossed right there. So we're like, well, you know, it's four in the morning. We've been tracking for four hours. Let's just give it a shot. So we took our, we took a boat in as well. So we took both our boats across trade water to the other side, let the dog out, tried to see where maybe the deer crossed and let the dog go and do his thing. And he trapped a little bit, but wasn't showing us any blood. So we decided, all right, we're soaking wet. We're hot. We're tired. Let's call it. Well, then we stopped to talk to the hunter and his dad and the dog started chewing on a tree and, and, and growling and howling and making all sorts of noise. And that's his way of saying, I was not done with what I was doing. Like, let me go. And he's trying to pull on Lance. So Lance said, I'm going to give it one more shot. Just give me a minute. Well, there was no service. So then we're sitting there talking. You hear somebody hooting like an owl. And he said, is that Lance? And I said, oh, I don't think so. It sounds like an owl. And we listened. And sure enough, it was him. We walked to him. And he said, found your deer. Sure enough, there he was, pulling his back. It was his deer oh, right across the trade water. And, and like I said, this is a big, pretty chunk of water, you know, this, yeah. this river or creek, whatever you want to call it is. And so it's kind of one of those situations, again, it's like a trust your dog thing. Don't ever doubt what the dog's trying to tell you, even if it doesn't seem right. Like the deer wouldn't have done that. He had a hole in his back. I knew where I shot him. Just go. He was trying to deter, which we think coyotes ended up killing him. He was pretty freshly chewed on. But regardless, that just proved that trust your dog and just let him do his thing. So that was a cool recovery. He was pleased, happy, and I think he believes in dogs now. So <laughs> That is so so cool um and i can only imagine like how thankful these hunters are after you help find their deer uh i know most grown men track <laughs> oh i bet i i love it i've been i've been unfortunately on that end of things where you know you shoot an animal and you don't recover it and that is the worst feeling and so the fact that there's people like you and groups of people um in multiple states mm -hmm. that will go out and help total strangers do this is pretty awesome. Um, before I let yes, you it's, go, it's, I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to share where people can find you on social media, as well as how to get a hold of you. Um, if, if they have a tracking job that they're looking for help with. Gotcha. So I am a member of, um, UBT United blood trackers and my information is on there. That would just be, um, uh, my cell phone number, but that is a big network that'll show in every state, you know, so if people are in Missouri and they need a tracker, that's where they can look and, and find a tracker, okay. you know, as I said, I don't know if it's legal in Missouri, but surrounded states. And then just right now, um, I don't technically have a business uh, going yet just because my dog's so young. I just use my general Facebook under Joellen Gill. Um, and uh, that's where most of it comes from. I follow a lot of the Facebook pages for this state 
for Tennessee. And a lot of times you'll just see people posting in there, you know, I'll post my information. Hey, if you need a dog this year. So it's a lot of Facebook stuff. Um, that's my primary social media, really. But like I said, UBT is a big way to contact myself and any other tracker. And then just my Facebook under uh, Joelle and Kathleen Gill. And people message me on there. Um, usually every weekend, definitely for sure during hunting season, I'll get messages from people looking for a dog. So it's definitely a busy business. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Um, well, I appreciate you hopping on the show with me. Congrats on a big buck this year and, um, <laughs> good you. luck as you go out and, and track and help other people find their animals. Yeah, you're welcome. Feel free to follow and follow along if I, you know, throughout the season and the years that I find a find deer, it's, it's fun. So yeah, I will definitely. So thanks for be... having me. I was glad to kind of educate the the you know hunting world that listens to you on what dogs actually track. That was my primary goal. I just don't think most people truly understand, and you know, if they ever want to get into it. I've I've helped many people get into it just by giving them tips and tricks. So anybody's welcome to call me. Or message me as well if they want to know how to get into it, where to start, what breeders to use, you know, give my, my piece and try to help as much as I can. And cause I've been there before, you know, at the start. So, yeah, I, I definitely want to go on a track job now and it sounds like a ton of fun. I think my wife would differ on that. She'd probably be like, no, you cannot afford and you don't have time for any other hobbies. So, um, we'll see if I can make it happen just as a spectator um, but yep. deep down, I know I'm hoping to be a future participant. So there you go. Well, good luck to you. And thanks for having me. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Cause like I said, it was a treat to sit down and chat with Joe. Uh, she has so much knowledge and experience in the tracking game. And I want to see a dog work so bad. I think it would be the coolest thing to just be walking behind a dog you know how it is. I mean, you shoot a deer and your head's down to the ground. You're like looking for blood, but also looking up every couple seconds to see if you can see that white belly. But it would be so cool to work behind a dog, let the dog keep its nose to the ground. Your eyes could be up watching for that rack, the belly, the brown, whatever it is that you see first. I don't know. It just sounds awesome. And I could seriously get into tracking. And I mean, even when the action's slow or you're hunting, it'd be fun to go and help other people recover deer and just to see so many different moments where people come up on the animal that they've been pursuing and putting so much time and energy into. So all that being said, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I am so pumped right now. I can hardly take it. I'm going to get all of my gear together. I just talked to one of the guys from uh, the elk camp that I used to go to all the time. And I'm pumped to go connect with him. I'm not going to be far from them when I hunt. And so I'm going to go hang out there for a night or possibly catch some, uh, catch a meal in town with them before we actually get out to our final destination. So I'm going to hop off here and I'm going to finish packing, get all my stuff together. And uh, I might actually go do one last trail camera pull before I head out because I'm going to be gone now for almost two full weeks. I'm going to miss a good chunk, the front chunk of the whitetail rut here in Missouri, which is unfortunate, but it's all for good reasons, both for hunting and for my wife's surrogacy journey. So I'm going to sign off. Thank you guys. As always, choose adventure and God bless.